back to the Bama Online Podcast. This one's set to go Tuesday morning, November the 30th, 2021. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com with you. And with a reminder, once again, want to thank Homefield Apparel for joining the show as our latest sponsor. Homefield Apparel. If you missed the Black Friday sale, by the way, that ran Friday through Monday over the holiday weekend. No worries. You can still get 15% off your first purchase at homefieldapparel.com by simply entering Bama247 at checkout as a first time consumer there at Homefield Apparel. You're going to get that 15% off. And let me tell you, great, great stuff. Whether you're looking for t shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, they've got you covered with all. All of the very best in Alabama gear right there at Homefield Apparel. Check them out today, homefieldapparel.com. How you doing on the heels of that Iron Bowl from last Saturday, by the way? Did you adhere to the 24-hour rule? You ready to saddle back up and get ready for the ninth SEC championship game appearance for Alabama in the last 14 years. And look, I'd love to just jump right into some Southeastern Conference Championship game talk, but between the coaching carousel and the transfer portal, Conference Championship Week didn't exactly get off to a flying start in terms of dominating the conversation on Monday. You've got Billy Napier taking over at Florida, and then late Monday night, we learned that Brian Kelly, Notre Dame head coach, is on his way to LSU. Now, with Billy Napier, former Alabama assistant, of course, working under Nick Saban, Napier is being sold to the Florida fan base as a program builder, while Brian Kelly is perceived to be a national championship caliber coach if he could just get over the hump in terms of recruiting with quality personnel from top to bottom of his roster. Well, that's going to be available to him now at LSU. So when you think about Billy Napier in the Southeastern Conference, you think about Brian Kelly in not just the SEC, but the SEC West with Alabama. Who do you look at as perhaps the biggest threat to the Crimson Tide moving forward? I think you have to go with Kelly simply because Alabama faces LSU every year. Recruiting-wise, I think Alabama, with the success it has had in both Florida and Louisiana, you consider Kelly and Napier maybe pushes from that perspective. I think Kelly goes into LSU with more name recognition on the recruiting trail than will Billy Napier, but I think Napier's dogged approach and being very much uh, authoritative in terms of having a plan on the recruiting trail, I think that'll certainly provide an upgrade over the guy that he's replacing uh, in Dan Mullen. Now, with Brian Kelly, what I don't think will be as much of a problem for Alabama is his offensive philosophy, which stresses a lot of 12 personnel. Brian Kelly loves tight ends. Les Miles loved 21 personnel, two backs and a tight end, specifically a running back, a fullback and a tight end. 
Brian Kelly likes two tight end stuff. We know that Alabama under Nick Saban, where LSU is concerned in that Les Miles era, especially as it wound down there, really didn't have much of a problem defending those LSU offenses. Uh, And we've already seen it on a couple of occasions with Alabama and Notre Dame under Brian Kelly. When they've met in the postseason, uh, we've seen Alabama uh, be pretty much dominant in in a lot of stretches against Brian Kelly's offenses. So that'll be interesting to watch play out. You know, I also think Brian Kelly's got a little bit of Dan Mullen in him from an ego perspective. And so when you think about how quickly the Mullen situation went off the rails down in Gainesville, I can see Kelly getting off to a decent enough start there in Baton Rouge, but it could end up being a similar situation in terms of flammability between himself and that fan base down there in Louisiana. If there's an egg that is laid in there at some point in the first couple of years, you know, the bottom line from especially Brian Kelly's perspective and Lincoln Riley, as we've seen here in the last couple of days too, is that we're going from big buyout numbers to get rid of these coaches, like you just saw with Ed Orgeron, $17 million to go away from LSU, Dan Mullen a little bit south of the teens in terms of buyout to get him out of Florida there. You're seeing guys like Brian Kelly. I think it's going to be the case with him in all likelihood at LSU. You just saw it with Mel Tucker at Michigan State. These are guaranteed deals now. Jimbo Fisher kind of set the standard for all of this at Texas A&M. Fully guaranteed deals. We're not talking about $15, $20 million in buyout. We're talking about the full deal if you want to get rid of some of these guys moving, uh, moving forward. So as crazy as the buyouts have been, you know, think about where we're headed with these contracts, not just in terms of annual compensation, total compensation in excess of 100 million dollars now for 10 plus years or so and if you don't like it barring a situation that allows you to fire one of these guys with cause uh the price just keeps going up and up and look if you want another indication that the college football playoff is expanding here on the horizon and you want an indication of what, say, a league like the Southeastern Conference bringing Oklahoma in, bringing Texas in, what it's going to be able to command in terms of television rights fees and just revenue streams in general. I think you're getting a preview of all that too with the numbers that are now being thrown around at these coaching candidates. Remember just, I don't know, A year ago, when we all thought maybe COVID was going to actually lead to a decrease in salaries for college football coaches, no, that hasn't been the case at all and doesn't look like it will be anytime soon. Transfer portal, as we talked about earlier, the portal news hits Alabama here in the last couple of years as you've got third-year offensive lineman Pierce Quick and second-year inside linebacker Jackson Bratton moving to the portal Uh, It was interesting with Pierce Quick because his younger brother recently signed with Alabama baseball as a pitcher. Now, we haven't seen much of Pierce Quick the last couple of years. Uh, He's had some issues staying on the field from a health perspective. Even this season, when Alabama has gone with more of a second group in games that it's had 
well in hand. You really haven't seen much of Pierce Quick. I still think Pierce Quick, if he can stay healthy, can be a guy that starts at multiple positions at a lot of places. And you're already hearing some rumblings about perhaps Georgia Tech with Pierce Quick, which even from a connect the dots scenario makes some sense because Brent Key um, you know, is the offensive line coach at uh, at Georgia Tech under Jeff Collins. And that was an area over there at Hewitt Trustville, the Birmingham area in general, that Brent Key recruited while he was on staff at Alabama. So familiarity there, we'll see if it plays out that way. Meanwhile, Jackson Bratton, he's really caught in a log jam there at inside linebacker. And when you consider that, it is only year two, but he hasn't really been a factor on special teams either, which is what you sort of expect beginning with year two. Uh, Not a huge surprise to see Jackson Bratton go ahead and test those portal waters uh, himself. You know, and if you're Jackson Bratton, who knows if some of these guys that are ahead of you that a lot of folks had – moving on after this season, whether it's to the NFL, maybe some guys looking to move on to places where they have a better chance of getting on the field as well. Can you count on that if you're Jackson Bratton right now? And you just are seeing Deontay Lawson, a true freshman, jump into that inside linebacker mix. That's on top of, again, maybe Henry Toa Toa and Christian Harris are gone to the National Football League after this season. But they have the option both of them, of coming back for another year. There's Jalen Moody to consider in all that as well. You've got Shane Lee uh, on that depth chart. Demoy Kennedy, Ian Jackson, just a lot of guys there in that inside linebacker room. And so, again, and if you're Bratton, you saw Alabama just this most recent offseason go to the portal, bring in a ready-made starter. There's always going to be the possibility of that with the landscape of uh, the transfer situation being what it is these days. And I think for Jackson Bratton, he's still got to answer some questions at this level about whether or not he's an every-down linebacker. He might be, but it wasn't going to happen in all likelihood at UA in the foreseeable future. So why not go ahead and test those waters once again if you're Jackson Bratton? Same really for Pierce Quake. By the way, there will be more of this. So as an Alabama fan, prepare yourself accordingly. And who knows, Alabama once again might be in the market as a buyer in the, in the portal. And perhaps the running back position, among other spots, is one of those areas where Nick Saban will be looking to add to his roster. There's already been rumblings. We talked about rumblings with Pierce Quick and Georgia Tech. Uh, You're already hearing some of that with Jameer Gibbs, the outstanding running back from Georgia Tech, who announced on Monday that he would be entering the transfer portal. I think you could pretty much look at Georgia Tech and say, if they have an NFL guy on that roster – Right now, it's Jameer Gibbs. He was a guy that Alabama was right in the middle of the recruitment with a couple of cycles ago. So we'll see how that continues to play out moving forward. We do know Alabama has a couple running backs in Roydell Williams and Jace McClellan uh, that are going to be rehabbing surgically repaired knees. Uh, Again, all of this is so crazy with the coaching carousel and the transfer portal 
you know, all this brand relevant movement too in, in coaching circles. You're still going to have openings at Oklahoma, Notre Dame now. You know, we're still almost a week away from knowing what the college football playoff field is going to look like. And we already have all of this. And a lot of it, of course, driven by recruiting because you've got that early signing period. That has definitely changed the dynamic of how all this is going to work, not just in terms of the coaching carousel, but certainly where the transfer portal is concerned as well. Sticking closer to the Alabama program, Seven players of the week for the Crimson Tide following its four-overtime win at Auburn on offense. Just one honoree, that being John Mechie, who really stepped it up. We talked about it on instant analysis immediately following the game on Saturday evening with Jamison Williams going out due to the targeting penalty there in the second quarter and early in the second quarter. It was going to require a heroic effort from John Mechie and some other guys, as we saw. And Mechie did just that, catching a career-high 13 passes for 150 yards. Got into the end zone a couple of times there in the overtime sessions, including that game winner uh, in the fourth overtime. So John Mechie, your lone honoree on the offensive side of the ball defensively, You've got four honorees. Will Anderson, this has become just basically a weekly deal for the sophomore outside linebacker. Three more tackles for loss. Uh, 15 total TFLs for Alabama in the game. That was a Saban era high, by the way. Will Anderson with another sack. And so he continues to have at least an outside shot at that 39 tackles for loss in a season from the late great Derek Thomas back in 1988 that stands as the single season record for TFLs for Alabama football Jordan Battle couple of safeties here the safeties played extremely well for Alabama in the win over Auburn both of those guys had six tackles DeMarco Hellams had a couple of pass breakups and Jordan Battle a key play there late in regulation where he was able to not only stop Tank Bigsby short of what would have been a game-clinching first down for the Tigers, but also encourage, at least guide in some ways, Tank Bigsby out of bounds and stop the clock because that was a second down play. Alabama had just one timeout left, so it was going to lose somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 40 seconds Uh, If Bigsby doesn't go out of bounds, he did, and the rest, as they say, is history. Also on the defensive side of the ball to go along with Will Anderson, Jordan Battle, and DeMarco Hellams, Fedarian Mathis, the veteran defensive lineman, has been a fixture in these UA Player of the Week awards releases that we've seen throughout the season, had a a tackle and a half for loss, uh, played a ton of snaps um, in that Mostly big nickel that we saw from Alabama. Uh, A lot of three defensive linemen front with Will Anderson to go with those guys. Fedarian Mathis was a big, big part of that. I think, what, Auburn averaged 2.4 yards per play and 0.6 yards per carry. Yeah, Fedarian Mathis was a big, big part of a defensive front. And if I'm being honest here, I'm surprised Byron Young wasn't honored as a player of the week. He was just tremendous. And I know he was credited, Byron Young was, with 
one and a half tackles for loss. But watching the game back, it seemed like he had three or more. Uh, but good, good play from that defensive front against the Auburn Tigers last Saturday down on the plane. Special teams, Kyrie Jackson, the junior college transfer corner. Uh, he is honored by the UA coaching staff for his play in the kicking game. And place kicker Will Reichard to a, made, made his field goals that he actually was able to get the ball cleanly spotted. One from 30 yards out and then, of course, a game extender there in the second overtime from 38 yards with a backup holder and James Burnup giving him the placement in place of Paul Tyson. Will Reichard comes through in the clutch had three kickoffs for 193 yards, a couple of touchbacks. So those were your seven players of the week for the Alabama Crimson Tide following the win, the Iron Bowl win over the Auburn Tigers. Saban on Monday, he actually, via teleconference, met with the media Sunday night as well. That's part of the regimen for SEC Championship Week. You get the coaches for both teams on Sunday evening and then of course Saban on a weekly basis does his noontime news conference with media so it was a double dip of Nick Saban in a span of about what 16 18 hours and Nick on Monday had some things to say he was asked some questions uh, about his football team as it prepares for the Georgia Bulldogs and tries to break the dogs' hearts one more time in Atlanta. I mean, you think about SEC championship games, college football playoff national championship game, the meetings in Atlanta, it doesn't get any more heartbreaking than what it's been for the Georgia Bulldogs, especially when you consider you know, we're 40-plus years removed from Georgia's last national championship. So for the dogs to essentially have had their paws, I guess you could say, on those national championships, 2012, the SEC championship game, Alabama breaks the dogs' hearts in what was essentially a pseudo-national title game because Brian Kelly and his, at the time, Notre Dame fighting Irish wasn't going to be a match for either Alabama or Georgia and we saw that play out exactly that way when Alabama dismantled the Irish down there in South Florida and then of course once again in January of 2018 Tua tonga comes off the bench second half hits Devontae Smith for the game-winning touchdown in overtime and Again, just the heartbreak. That That's before we even talk about the 2018 SEC championship game where, once again, a quarterback comes off the bench to guide Alabama to a win over the Georgia Bulldogs. So Nick, though, asked specifically about his team on Monday. And as you might expect, a lot of questions in relation to Alabama's offense with an emphasis on the offensive line, the running back positions, And then when you consider this defense that Alabama is going to see Saturday afternoon in the ATL, a lot of that type of questioning on Monday, Nick Saban was asked about what it might take for some improvement along that offensive line. And he pointed to, you know, being more aggressive, displaying more power, just being more physical. And then, you know, as a part of that too, you got to know the plan. You got to know who you're going to block. Uh, pass protection was a problem, certainly uh, in the first half, especially against Auburn. But with this Alabama group, 
going into the postseason, you're still wondering exactly who the players are going to be when Alabama opens the game on offense against Georgia. And, you know, what we saw in the second half and in the overtime periods at Auburn, you would think there would be a continuation of that. Seth McLaughlin offered an upgrade at center in game. Chris Owens did the same at right tackle uh, for uh, Damian George. So, you know, and it's nice to think about, well, maybe there's this like Barrett Jones magic pixie dust you can just sprinkle over this group. But the bottom line remains that when you talk about the difference in power from a year ago to this season, it's pretty pretty obvious what you're missing. You're missing Alex Leatherwood. You're missing Deontay Brown. You're missing Landon Dickerson on that offensive line. And then on top of all that, Najee Harris, for as much as we all love the hurdles and you know some of the spin moves and the open field stuff he could do, he's still a 230-pound back that could get those yards after contact. Something Brian Robinson has done this season. Uh, but you had more also just at the skill position spots. You had more erasers. You had issues on the offensive line last year at times. But you had guys, you had more guys that could make it right when it was wrong. Uh, and that isn't as much in play with this group either. Uh, very good very good players in Jamison Williams and John Mechie and you know Brian Robinson when he's healthy while he's not a spectacular back in terms of make you miss and some of those things in short spaces tight spots uh, he, he's gonna go get four or five yards when it's there uh, and so that's that's a lot of what this team's dealing with right now on that offensive line. There's no magic solution to it. You are what you are, especially after 12 games into the season. And the second half last week in overtime, Alabama was just good enough along that offensive line. If this is the same group coming out of that game that we see against Georgia, well, we'll see if they're even close to being good enough in going against this Georgia group. You know, Nick Saban was also asked on Monday what he thought made this Georgia defense unique. And, you know, he pointed to the fact that he feels like Georgia's been very good on defense for multiple years now under not only Kirby Smart, but Dan Lanning, the defensive coordinator, young riser in the coaching ranks who's done a very nice job and um, – you know, what he likes is that they play hard, they play with toughness. And look, when I look at Georgia's defense, and I know the numbers are historic at this point, I know the talent is undeniable. What I see, and I've said this before, is a defense that sustains a level of connectivity in terms of how everything ties in from front to back and how guys don't go hero ball, how guys don't jump out of gaps how you get four- and five-star talent to play at an elite level together. You know, you can cover for deficiencies in technique and scheme and execution by simply out-talenting the uh, opposition. But, man, the intangibles are what show up for me with this Georgia defense. There is obviously a level of accountability among the players themselves 
that the coaches don't have to police. And when you've got that, you've got something along the lines of what Alabama had on the offensive side of the ball last year with some of those aforementioned linemen, with Mac Jones, with Devontae Smith. You know, that's essentially what you had. Miller Forrestall uh, as a part of that as well. And from the Georgia perspective, N'Kobe Dean physically doesn't resemble Rolando McClain, but when I watch him play, he really brings the Rolando McClain years back for me. You know, again, not the 6'3", 6'4", 250-pound guy that Rolando McClain was, but certainly a guy that is well-respected by his teammates, and he has that presence right there in the middle of that defense that shows up on a weekly basis and obviously Jordan Davis the mammoth defensive tackle a deep talented defensive line but you know when you're Dan Lanning and again this sort of goes back to Alabama on offense a year ago when your very best players like Dean and Davis are not only guys that are showing up as finalists on some of the top individual awards list in all of college football but they are also some of your most respected leaders that makes the job a lot easier. You just got guys doing their job. I know it sounds cliche as hell. It's boring. Uh, but when you've got four- and five-star talent bought in at that level and they're willing to sort of just do what they need to do for the greater good of the defense as a whole, then you really got something along the lines of Alabama 2011, Alabama 1992, you know, those type of defenses, when I watch Georgia, that's what it brings to mind for me. And so what does all this mean for Alabama offensive coordinator Bill O'Brien this week? I said it during the game last week, and I think it's true. I think you got to get creative, even with how you utilize the quarterback in the passing game. You got to do some things. You got to be at least willing going into this game on Saturday to move the launch point with Bryce Young if needed. You saw even Jim McElwain going back to the 2012 BCS National Championship game. Remember that LSU defense? A lot of the same things that we're hearing about this Georgia defense we were hearing about that LSU defense. Now, Alabama had pretty much a a defense for all time uh, to go along with LSU in that matchup. But Jim McElwain did some really good stuff in terms of getting A.J. McCarron out on the corner, giving him some easy throws early, getting the ball out of his hands and doing it off play action to Trent Richardson. There are a number of different things that we could see Bill O'Brien try to do And I think it's going to take some creativity because Georgia, with a pass rush that is averaging three sacks per game in conference play, the quicker you can get the ball out of the hand of Bryce Young, the better. And you've got wide receivers in Jamison Williams and in John Mechie that can win quickly out on the perimeter. You can throw it to the perimeter quickly. And if you don't have much of a traditional run game, you can supplement that with five, six yards on some of the quick stuff to the perimeter. And uh, even with the backs, you know, not knowing for sure the situation with Brian Robinson, which Nick Saban was asked about as well. You know, if you listen to Nick's answer in, in response to Brian Robinson's potential availability, uh, it didn't sound all that promising. Um, you know, he made the comment that, 
they don't ever like seeing a, any player not be able to compete, especially when they've had a great year all year long and probably want to play in this game because of that. But as a coach, you just have to coach the players and try to get the players ready that you have available to play the game and have confidence in them and try to do the things that they can do well to help the team. That doesn't sound like there's a lot of optimism. It's only, I know, it's early in the week. We're only going into Tuesday here and things can happen, but you didn't like seeing Brian Robinson at the end of that 37-yard run at Auburn Saturday evening sort of reach back for that hamstring while he was on the ground. That's not the kind of injury you like to see for a running back this time of year. So, you know, with that, you go into the middle of the week, maybe the end of the week. If you're an Alabama fan, I would say my advice would be to prepare yourself for a lot of Trey Sanders and maybe a sprinkling of Christian Leary. And then be pleasantly surprised if you get Brian Robinson in some form or fashion against Georgia on Saturday. I did, again, very impressed with Trey Sanders against Auburn last Saturday. Ball security, receiving skills, the capability and willingness to pick up the blitz. You saw all that from Trey Sanders in that extended action there in the latter stages of the game. And, you know, what you get with Christian Leary, too, if you put him in the game at the running back position is that you can turn some 12 personnel into four wide receiver sets pretty quickly because you know that's essentially his primary position you get him in the game he's more one of those space players uh, not the biggest guy in the world you're not going to ask Christian Leary to stand in there and probably pick up N'Kobe Dean on a blitz this week but you can spread the field very effectively with him in the personnel groupings and then work the quick passing game uh, from spread formations as a way to sort of try to neutralize that Georgia pass rush and that Georgia defense in general. And look, the matchups are favorable for Alabama where the back end of that Georgia defense is concerned. You just have to have a plan uh, in part that allows you to get the ball out quickly. And then you, you know, sometimes you're just going to have to outright protect. You know, you can't just go uh, quick stuff, quick stuff, quick stuff for 60, 70, 80 plays. Uh, there are going to be some situations where time is required for plays and routes to develop, and that's when you're going to have to get the the protection needed to pull that off. Nick Saban also asked, as you might expect, about Will Anderson one more time. Relevant this week because Will Anderson, a Georgia guy that, based on his comments on Monday, wasn't really highly regarded on the recruiting scene by the Georgia staff. Worked out pretty well, I'd say, for Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide. You know, Nick on Monday commenting on what the staff saw in Will Anderson coming out of high school, the size, the quick first step, the explosiveness. Um, You know, and even Nick, at the time felt like there was some uncertainty as far as whether or not Will Anderson would be an every down player. When I watched Will Anderson's film there when he signed with Alabama in December of, I guess, 2019, that was, you know, you didn't know if he was going to be an immediate every down player because at Alabama, you just don't see that. Right At outside linebacker, you don't see guys, and a lot of times it's because of the physical maturity that is still taking place. 
you got to have a guy typically at those outside linebacker positions on early downs, especially maybe more in that 230, 240, even 250 range to be able to set the edge and hang in from a physical perspective. A lot of guys can jump right in there and, you know, win with a speed rush on, on passing situations. But to be an every down guy, it requires, you know, all of those things. And, you know, watching Will Anderson in high school, uh, the, the, the power in his hands, his initial punch was something that stood out to me and kind of got me along the lines of thinking, this guy isn't that far away. If he's really 230, 235, you know, there's a path for him to see the field, not just in a situational role and given where Alabama was transitioning from with Anthony Jennings and Terrell Lewis having moved on, they were very much in need of an every down guy. You figured it would be Christopher Allen uh, to start the 2020 season, and it was actually uh, Will Anderson, and he has absolutely not looked back. Now, for Will and the rest of that front seven on Saturday, it'll start with setting the edge against that Georgia run game, and uh, if they can do that against a Georgia rushing attack that averages 5.4 yards per carry, they'll be able to get after Stetson Bennett in some pretty obvious situations. And Bennett's been devastatingly efficient. He's entered the league, he entered the week, averaging an SEC best 10.8 yards per attempt. Now, that's Tua Tonga-Vailoa, that's Mac Jones, that's Joe Burrow territory from the last three years. So, um, you know, that's that's where taking care of business on early downs and then trying to get Bennett to maybe press and force some things like he did in Tuscaloosa a year ago, that's where you can get the game more the way you want it from a defensive perspective. I thought Georgia in Tuscaloosa last year actually got away from the run a little too early. I don't think that'll probably be the case this year, especially because the more you throw it, the more you leave yourself open to Will Anderson. And there is questions about offensive tackle availability for Georgia here early in the week for Saturday. So we'll see how that goes as well. Hey, before we get out of here on this first thing Tuesday edition of the Bama Online Podcast, I wanted to talk some college hoops because the Alabama men's team, fresh off that 2-1 and visit to Disney, getting ready to make the trip to the great Northwest for a showdown with Gonzaga coming up. You talk about a crazy Saturday in Alabama athletics. How about Alabama, Georgia in that mid to late afternoon? And then in early prime time on Saturday night, you're going to have Alabama men's hoops taking on Gonzaga in Seattle Crimson Tide finished strong down in Central Florida over the holiday weekend, making a push in that third game against Miami that really started late in the first half, carried over into the second half where Alabama absolutely blitzed Miami 63-34 to in the final 20 minutes of that game. 63 points and a half. That's a lot. But that's also... What you can get from this Alabama team when it goes 13 of 17 from three like it did in the second half on Sunday evening. Alabama finished the game 16 of 30 
from beyond the arc. And Miami just four of 17 from three. So Alabama plus 36 points in threes alone in the win over the Miami Hurricanes. Good to see Keon Ellis with 22 points. A little bit of an up and down weekend for Keon, but he finishes on a strong note. Jaden Shackelford with 15 points. Jawan Gary with 13. What about Jawan Gary in the starting lineup? Did you like that? A couple of different ways to look at that with a player like Jawan Gary. You'll hear coaches talk about how they like the energy a player like Gary brings off the bench. But if you're not necessarily a fast starting team, sometimes you need to go ahead and get that juice in the lineup for the opening tip. And that's where Jawan Gary has been here in the last couple of games uh, and doing a nice job. Good to see J.D. Davison, too, with a strong performance against Miami. 13 points, 10 assists, double-double with points and assists, six rebounds for the freshman guard, J.D. Davison. Another Nate Oates technical. Two and three games down there. Third of the year, right, for Nate? You know, Disney is supposed to be the happiest place on earth. Not so much for Nate over the weekend in games against Iona in Miami. The the technical against Iona on Thanksgiving evening was costly, no doubt about it. And give Nate Oates credit. He owned up to it in the postgame. Had another one against Miami there late in the first half. Seemed to prove beneficial to his team. Uh, as if they need a little bit of a spark to get over that third game hump. Uh, and so they did. And so with that, Gonzaga with Drew Timmy, former UF guard, Andrew Nimhart, a member of the Zags these days, and one of the very best freshmen in all of college basketball in post player Chet Holmgren. That all awaits Alabama on Saturday. That will be a 7 central tip on ESPN2. So again, you'll have a doubleheader of elite collegiate tackle football, intercollegiate varsity tackle football and then you'll have elite varsity men's collegiate basketball on saturday night of course gonzaga took its first loss of the season two over the weekend that went down in vegas where gonzaga fell to duke late night that was a very very high level game between the blue devils and zags and gonzaga actually in preparation for uh, for the matchup with Alabama, uh, had a Monday night game, played on Monday night against Tarleton State, and it wasn't exactly uh, the, the prettiest of performances from Gonzaga. Coming off that loss to Duke and maybe with its eyes a little bit too far ahead, to the Alabama Crimson Tide. More of a struggle than you would have expected uh, there against Tarleton State. Offensively, uh, pretty much a mess for Gonzaga and Mark Few's team. So uh, here's guessing it won't be as much of a problem in terms of motivation for Gonzaga with a top 15, top 20 team in Alabama set to make the trip out to the great northwest once again want to thank you for joining us here on the bama online podcast if you haven't already how about a subscription to the bama online podcast anywhere you consume podcasts you're going to find us if you leave us a rating and a review we would greatly appreciate that as well BamaOnline.com is where you want to stay locked in as we get you ready for saturday's sec championship game between the georgia bulldogs 
And, of course, the Alabama Crimson Tide also, as we just talked about. Plenty of hoops to keep you up to speed with as well. Recruiting never stops, especially with the transfer portal as hot as it is right now and only going to become hotter. BamaOnline.com, we're going to have you covered from every angle there is. Travis Schreier, thanking you for joining us here on the program, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.